Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, my friend. Welcome to Catch Up with Louise McSharry. This is the podcast that tries to help you stay up to date on what's going on in the news and in pop culture and just in general, I suppose, um, in Ireland and around the world. And I am recording this at about five past nine on Thursday night. Um, I've spent the last hour and a half watching... Dublin being smashed up in the city centre. I've seen buses on fire, Lewis is on fire, Gardi being beaten up on the street. I've seen um I've seen screen recordings of voice notes from people saying that every immigrant should be killed, literally kill them all, the man said. Um I have seen videos of people looting shops. I've seen videos of hotels being smashed up. I have seen things that I could not have imagined seeing. And I'm sure that you have seen them all too. And I am feeling very upset and I am feeling sick to my stomach, literally. Um, and I'm sure you feel the same way. Um, I recorded the news section earlier today with Carl and when we recorded um, the stabbing incident that happened in Dublin City Centre today had just happened um, and already you could see people stoking a xenophobic fire on Twitter and it's been coming for a long time. There's been a lot of conversation among the people who call themselves patriots suggesting and this will this actually comes up in uh, the news section as well suggesting that um you know the the main problem in this country is male immigrants um which i just is not true um and it felt like they were almost hoping that the person who had been responsible for this horrendous stabbing incident that happened in the city center today 
you know, would be from another country. Um, and now they're on the streets. And, you know, I tweeted earlier sarcastically and I don't know like now at this stage that I've seen everything that's happened even being sarcastic about this stuff feels wrong because I said I don't know about you but if I was concerned about women and children's safety I'd put a balaclava on and start smashing the city I live in up and setting shit on fire while women and children try to make their way home in the evening like it makes no sense and it really lays bare the reality of the situation, which is that there are a lot of opportunistic people out there who are looking for an excuse to behave badly. Um, and it is just absolutely horrendous to see. The impact of this is massive. Like, presumably the children who go to the school that was affected today, the students from the school that were was affected today, live locally to the school. In which case that means that tonight there are literal riots happening outside their houses. Presumably, I don't know if the school is going to be open tomorrow, but you know, if they were going to school tomorrow, they would probably pass by awful sights, you know, burnt out cars. I saw a, a Dublin bus, a stolen Dublin bus there a minute ago with someone driving it at speed down the street. They're, the city is going to be in bits tomorrow and that's going to impact all of us. The Rotunda is currently on lockdown. I got a message from a terrified midwife not long ago telling me that they are all traumatized because many of them were the people who ran out to assist at the scene um, in which I'm told a Brazilian delivery driver was actually key in preventing the man from stabbing any more people. When I spoke to my interview guest this week, who is a doctor working in the rotunda, working with tiny babies and doing his best, before we started recording, he told me that his wife, who was also a medical professional in the rotunda, had run from the hospital to help treat people on the scene. And now all of the people who, you know, medical professionals and first line defenders and, you know, ambulance drivers and, and paramedics and firemen and all of the people who assisted in that incident today are all at risk this evening as they are f afraid in the hospital, unable to, uh, to allow patients to come in even, and, you know, are potentially out there dealing with this bullshit now. It, there is no way you can make sense of this. There is no way you can justify it. Is it, it is an absolute disgrace. There is no doubt, and I have not planned what I'm saying here, I am speaking very much from the heart and from my current upset. There is no doubt that we have an issue with the far right in this country. There is also no doubt that there are a large number of people who feel let down and disenfranchised by Ireland, by the society, by the government, who feel like they are not being cared for. And the far right prey on those legitimate concerns and fears and bring people in. And then what you get is this. And it is heartbreaking. I've been watching Conor McGregor tweet all week. Ireland is at war, he said. Stoking the fire and countless others doing the same. And now our city is destroyed. Like who, who benefits from that? So yeah, I didn't think that this would be the context in which I would be recording the introduction to this week's episode as I recorded the other pieces today. So keep in mind that as they were recorded, I didn't know there was going to be a riot tonight in the, our city. Um, 
I hope you're okay. I've seen so many people who are just genuinely scared, people who live in the city centre, people who have kids and teenagers in town doing various things this evening, you know, texting them and just saying, please just get home, don't talk to anyone, go out of the city as fast as you can. We should be better than this. We are a country that has emigrated all over the world. It's a disgrace. Let's get the news with Carl Kinsler. Carl Kinsler, uh, hello. Are you in Amsterdam? Have you found a new home? As a matter of fact, I have. Oh, uh, I'm delighted. About, yeah, at least 99% sure. I like. I literally, I physically have the keys. Okay. So well, then I'd be. Take, that yes, feels like 100%. If they want to take this place away from me, they'll have to pull it from my my cold my cold hands. But so I, I haven't like moved in yet. But okay. I, I have I have the keys. You so the keys. I'm, I'm taking that. I'm taking that as I'm I'm sorted. Yeah, I mean, I think having the keys is a pretty pretty definitive sign. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, I'm so happy for you. Um, I Thank love you to hear. Much. Of people getting homes. Yeah, it's been a long, hard struggle, but I've made it. Yeah. Um, we are recording later than we normally do. We normally record in the morning, but it's three o'clock on Thursday afternoon. And um, there is a breaking news story happening at literally, well, I mean, I think the incident itself is over, but we don't know a huge amount about a horrific incident on Parnell Square in Dublin um, where there has been many people or several people anyway, including some children, stopped. Yeah, like you kind of said before we started recording, Louise, by the time you're listening to this, you, the listener, mm. you're going to know more about it than we know right yeah. now. This I, this incident, I think, occurred. I first started seeing reports of it maybe 40 minutes ago, so mm. it's still extremely fresh. Mm. What we know is that there are lots of Gardaí and emergency services vehicles at Parnell Square. There's reports of a stabbing with multiple casualties. It's believed that it took place outside a Gale School on Parnell Square East near the Rotunda Hospital. Um, and yeah, it seems like there's there's varying reports um, mm. sticking to what's official right now is just that we know that there's one adult has been injured and multiple children have been injured. Um, we we don't know much more than that right now. Yeah. There's no reports of any arrests. There's no reports as to how many people are thought to be responsible, whether it's one individual or a few individuals. We don't know any of that right now. So yeah. the, the Guardian has said that they're not in a position to confirm any further details. Like we said, this occurred, we're, we're recording at 3 p.m. This happened yeah. maybe 40 minutes ago. So details are, are light on the ground. Yeah, and I it would be inappropriate to speculate. So I think um, just to acknowledge that it's happened. Um, but as Carl said, you'll know more about it by the time you're listening to this than we do now. Um, so yeah, we'll park that there. But I mean, just uh, horrifying. Um, you know, The hope for the best, really. I just think we're so lucky in this country that we don't have the kind of school violence and crime that there is in America. Um, and so when you hear about something happening outside of school with children, it really does hit you hard. Um, so hopefully everyone will be okay in the end. Um, okay, let's move on. And we will return to Gaza, um, where uh, there has been some progress. Would we call it progress? Yes, yeah, certainly developments. Mm. Um uh, this also has has come along quite significantly just in the last half an hour because for the last couple of days there's been murmurings of you know a temporary ceasefire a temporary mm. truce in order to facilitate the release of hostages on both sides um, 
And now it looks like we have an official start time. It was originally meant to start today, uh, as in Thursday, but it, it that was that was delayed. Mm. But now it looks like it's going to start this this four day truce coupled with uh, hostage release. Hopefully, it's going to start at five a.m. Ireland time tomorrow, mm. and they're hoping that the uh, the first tranche of hostages being released from the Hamas side of things, mm. which will be about thirteen hostages at two p.m. Ireland time tomorrow. Mm. We obviously don't know exactly which hostages are being released when. We do know that there's going to be a priority for women and children and mm. families. Um, that could be good news for the Hand family. Yeah. Obviously, Thomas Hand, who's the the Irish father of Emily Hand, who mm. is a nine year old girl who turned nine um, in captivity, having been kidnapped by Hamas on October seventh. Mm. So I suppose everybody is crossing their fingers. It's it's obviously it's it's good that the hostages are being released. Uh, whichever hostages are going to be released, yeah, that absolutely. is that's that's positives. But obviously in Ireland, there's a particular hope. Obviously that Emily Hand will be released. Yeah. Um, and of course, kind of what what the exchange is here is there's, there's going to be a four day truce. Um, I'm not sure people are really, obviously, you know, the last few weeks have been punctuated by, you know, lots, you know, millions of activists globally call, calling for a ceasefire. Mm. I don't really know if, if anyone would think that this quite amounts to a ceasefire. I don't mm. think there's a lot of trust. I don't think there's a lot of trust between the two sides mm. i think it's it's very plausible that this the hostage release will take place and we will probably continue to see some reports of violence from the area mm. but officially what we're looking into now or looking at down the barrel of is starting tomorrow morning a four-day cessation of violence um which could they've said that could extend further as long as hamas continue to release at least 10 hostages a day mm. but both sides, both the IDF and Hamas, have both signaled their intention to resume fighting once this four-day period is over. So, yeah, it's a development. It's certainly a sort of a change in the landscape. Mm. But and I mean, it's great news that we're going to have hostages released, and it's, mm. it is good news. Any any stopping of the bombing is 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 technically good news. Yeah. But yeah, we could be looking at kind of an almost immediate resumption once these four days are up. So it's it's still quite fluid. Yeah, yeah, and of course, so much damage has been done that you know nothing will ever be the same um but yes. but still it's something um okay we will obviously follow that up next week now the ashling murphy trial has concluded um it's been going it was going on for a, a few weeks there and then there was sentencing so i wanted to wait to talk about it until it was all finished um Obviously, it's a case that is very emotional for lots of people. Lots of people feel connected to it. Lots of women, I think, in particular, really identify with Ashling and, and felt the loss of Ashling, whether we knew her personally or not. Um, but I don't know. It never really feels satisfying when something like this comes to a conclusion, but it, but it is the end of the trial. Yep. So the trial, it, it came, I suppose the, the conviction was kind of confirmed two weeks ago. Mm. But uh, yeah, towards the end of last week, we saw the the sentencing for Joseph Puska, mm. the 33 year old Slovak national who uh, who was convicted of killing Ashley Murphy. Um, the sentence, I think this is the kind of thing, this is a sticking point for a lot of people whenever we have cases like this, is this idea that we don't have a sort of a minimum life sentence like mm. they might have in the United States. Mm. Um, we don't have a situation whereby someone can be convicted of murder and just put in prison for the rest of their life. Mm. The average life sentence in Ireland generally works out somewhere in the region of between 19 and 21 years. That's usually what can be expected when someone is sentenced to life in prison. So obviously in the case of, of Mr. Puska, that would mean, you know, release at around the age of 54. Mm. Um, 
I think people people really struggle with that idea when it comes to sentencing in Ireland. Um, the judge Tony Hunt said that he couldn't hand down couldn't hand down a whole life sentence, but if he could, it would be richly deserved. Mm. Um, which I think is the kind of thing that, as you say, this has resonated with a lot of people. A mm. lot of people probably see these the kind of life sentences that Ireland gives out as too lenient. That's mm. probably quite a commonplace view. Mm. Um, and of course, one that appears to be shared shared by the judge in this case, who 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 did specifically say that he wished he could you know sentence more, Mr Puska yeah. for longer um, we also heard uh, victim impact statements um, in the court um, which sounded again very emotional completely understandably um, and uh, they make for a heartbreaking reading yeah they're they're excruciating really I think one of a lot of the focus has been on the victim in impact statement of Ryan Casey, yeah. who's the, the boyfriend of, of Ashling Murphy. He's, you know, he's, you know, a young, young man, you know, far too young to really have that, you know, all the cameras on him. And it's, it's a huge expectation. I think the victim impact statements, um, it's, it's very hard to, I mean, I've never been in that position and mm. touch wood, I never will be, but I really don't know how anyone is able to gather their thoughts enough to, to, deliver one uh a lot of what ryan casey said was yeah kind of very forward looking that he had been planning to marry ashling he said i just have i have a section in front of me here he said i'd smile to myself thinking i can't wait to marry that girl i would have married her a long time ago and i wish i did but we didn't get a chance to reach that part um so i think yeah these are the kind of statements that are that are really affecting people Mm. um he also had kind of uh a, a section of his victim impact statement where he talked about the sort of this Mr. Puska kind of availed of various Irish social services while living in Ireland. Yeah. Um, this part of the victim impact statement caused a bit of consternation, but I think it gets at the heart of, you know, this is a super young man in the sort of aftermath of something so traumatic. I'm not really sure whether it makes sense to, to have these cameras on him because yeah. I mean, it's just a, you're putting yourself in a position where, you know, a, a very a person made the point to me that a victim impact statement it's it's probably the least clear headed you're ever going to be delivering any message. Yeah. Um. So I think yeah, it's it's a lot of pressure and it's it's very tough and it's, um, it's led to kind of a lot of discussion, um, now in the aftermath. Yeah, I mean, look, there's a lot of really problematic discourse online at the moment in general about immigration in this country and in many countries. Um, and that's undeniable. Um, and I think in a way it's really unfortunate that some of that kind of sector of society have really seized on, you know, yep. these comments as an opportunity to kind of make a point. And I've seen some, you know, really unfortunate <laughs> commentary online and um, xenophobic, I would say, commentary online. Um, but the reality is, as you say, this is an individual who is going, still going through something that is incredibly difficult. And um, I don't, I agree with you. I don't think that there's any point in, in, um, I don't know, denigrating or, you know, taking it in any overly um, serious way. You know, obviously he, he is speaking in a moment of, of real emotion and, you know, when you have a tragedy like that, I can only imagine you are looking for for lots of things to blame. Um, yes, and I think ultimately, like it's it's not fair on him that his statement has been seized upon by this by the, yeah. element of people. Because I mean, as you and I both well know, I mean, anyone who who pays any attention will know that the vast majority of violence against women in Ireland is perpetrated by 
Irish men, you know, like Irish men are in the majority in Ireland. And if if you are a person listening or a man listening and you are concerned about the rate of violence against women in Ireland, you don't need to start by looking at foreign nationals. That is not where the answer you need to look at the people closest to you and look at the the people who are in our towns and in our workplaces and in our friend groups who cause this violence and I mean there is no shortage of them so yeah like I mean if we completely banned immigration to Ireland violence against women would not end Uh, and in fact I would argue would probably be not significantly impacted at all and actually I found in preparing for this slot I go through the news stories from the week obviously and pick out the ones that I think we should talk about and um I actually found this week particularly upsetting. There's always headlines about male violence against other men and against women. And this week there were so many stories of men in court, of sexual assault incidents, of of male violence and also gender-based violence. And, you know, it is rampant. Like, I don't think that there's there's any other way to describe it. Um, and yeah, something does need to be done and it needs to be taken very seriously. But I think, you know, looking for a simple explanation and trying to blame it on immigration is is just not the way forward, as you say. Okay, rest in peace, Ashley Murphy. Absolutely. What a loss. Um, okay, Jacinda Ardern, uh, former Prime Minister of New Zealand and all-round queen, was in Ireland this week. And I really enjoyed seeing selfie after selfie pop up of her and various Irish politicians. I feel like there must have been a queue of Irish politicians like waiting to have their photo taken with her. That's It's it's almost amazing. So Jacinda Ardern obviously is, is almost a, a celebrity politician now who I think kind of famously walked away from her career yeah. as an elected... You know, she was Prime Minister of New Zealand. She... You know, I think people very closely associate her with her management of COVID-19, mm. you know, New Zealand kind of going into full lockdown. But it, it really did. It, it worked out for them very well. Um, and she also managed some very other high profile incidents, such as the mass shooting in the in the Christchurch uh, in, Christ, in Christchurch, um, which was a, yeah, a tragic incident. She spoke about about those things while um, she was at a, an AIB leadership conference mm. Um yeah, she's a very interesting kind of speaker. Like she, you know, gave the example of uh, and just to kind of almost go back to the last point we were making of the amount of threats that she faced while uh, prime minister of New Zealand and how she kind of didn't used to think about it. But that one time she was kind of having a casual enough briefing with one of their uh, one of her kind of security people. And they said that 50 people that year had been arrested for making threats against her. Wow. Um, so I think it's against that. And this is why I think partially why she's so popular among Irish politicians is because Irish politics has a huge problem mm-hmm. with uh, threatening behavior online towards mm-hmm. female politicians. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have the stats off the top of my head, but I know we've looked into it at the journal before and that women politicians are just so much more likely to face abuse. Mm. And I think it's kind of against that backdrop that Jacinda Ardern, to use her phrase, she kind of didn't have anything left in the tank to keep yeah. to keep going on as prime minister. And I think, you know, it's, it's very interesting um, to see how that's more likely to affect um, or, you know, kind of just using this anecdotal example seems more likely to affect someone who is a woman in a position of power than a man. Mm. Um, so I think, yeah, it's it's really it, that's, I suppose, why she's so popular is because she is seen as a real bastion against this sort of mm. this gendered hate that mm-hmm. female 
politicians tend to receive yeah I think as well like I remember at the time myself and Aoife on the podcast discussed it because there was there was some like really toxic discourse around her deciding to step away and it was kind of like oh you know it was weak was the suggestion or something and we talked about it at the time because I, I to me I think what a what a display of strength to say this job is too important for me to keep going and not feeling able to give it 100% the way that I have up until now like I think that that is an incredible display of strength and respect for the position and respect for the people of New Zealand like I think she is an icon frankly that's yeah like ideally like if you have a leader who's simply not feeling 100% anymore ideally any of those leaders should walk away 100% I think you know it is a testament to her own sort of self-awareness Mm. And her own sort of, like you say, a devotion to the office in terms of believing that somebody who is feeling 100% should take on the job. Like it's it's a huge testament to, I guess, her humanity and humility. Yeah. And so that yeah, she I was think... in the job for the right reasons, you know? Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like, um, I think there are lots of egotistical politicians who, you know, are not necessarily in the job to get shit done um not necessarily in ireland um but like maybe in ireland i don't know i don't know every irish politician um but around the world i think you'd find plenty of i'm gonna be honest men who are in in you know senior roles who are there because they like you know having the spotlight or being the big man um so i love jacinda arjun forever love you um she listens you know every week yeah maybe we can get her on next week I was like, oh, it would be amazing. I would love to talk to her. Um, Okay, and finally, I love this story. I think this is some joined up thinking. Grindr users can now order at-home HIV testing kits on the app. Yeah, this is this is just really good, isn't it? So smart. This is just a great initiative. Grinder is obviously a, a dating app for the LGBT commu- LGBTQ community. Um, and like it's very widely used in Ireland. It's a very popular app in Ireland. So like I think it's a great opportunity for people to just make sure they're like staying on top of their health. Yeah. It would also be it would be great to see this rolled out across all apps. Just you know. Totally. I mean, Tinder. These like just the other day I was reading that apparently Tinder is valued at forty two billion dollars. So mm. I'm just thinking like these apps are huge. They're making huge money. I think whatever steps they can take to make sure that everybody is is playing safely is is really good. Yeah. But yeah, I think, yeah, really commendable by Grindr. And it's, mm. you know, just the kind of thing we hope to see more of. So smart. Now, just to say, um, you can get a free home STI test in Ireland. It's available to anyone age 17 or older. I mean, frankly, why is there an age limit? I don't really know. But anyway, um, it is available to anyone age 17 or older who lives in Ireland. You can order it online. A friend of mine told me that she did it uh, last week. She said it arrived. She returned it in the same day. She got the results the next day. Like she said, it was so efficient. It, it was wow. so brilliant. So like, you know, you, you don't need to be on Grindr. You can get tested for um, chlamydia, gonorrhea, HIV and syphilis um, with this test. And then you can also access testing for hepatitis B or hepatitis C, but that's not always necessary. So if you, my friend, are listening and you're like, do you know what? I haven't been tested in a while. Can I encourage you to do that? SH24 is uh, .ie is the website. So like sexual health, sh24.ie. You can order a free SEI test that you can do in your house. You don't need to go anywhere. You don't need to be embarrassed um, and you'll get it really quickly. Um, And just to say that, you know, 
the number of women uh, with HIV in Ireland is on the rise. So we all need to be careful about our sexual health. Um, and I think, yeah, that's just, you know, you don't, I feel like we're not always so great with the old joined up thinking in Ireland. And when you see something that just makes sense, you're like, yes, you go grinder. <laughs> There's a phrase I didn't think I'd ever say. Yeah, I, I think, you know, like I like you say, I think joined up thinking is just the perfect uh, the perfect phrase for it. Like yeah. it is just, you know, I finally a little bit of like, I don't know, convenience or something, because mm. I mean, that's the exact time that you need to be when you're like, you know, on the apps mm. and you're, you know, looking to match up with someone like that's the exact time you want to be reminded of your own health. Yeah. So like, I think it is just it is perfect. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, Carl Kinsler, I know that people can read your columns for reeling in the years at the journal.ie. You are TV's Carl Kinsler on Twitter. Anywhere else I can direct people? Honestly, I've noticed since I've started doing this podcast that most of the new followers I get are through Instagram. Mm. So maybe it's I should women. start out. Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just I'm Carl.Kinsler on Instagram. My mm. Instagram isn't honestly that interesting. It's mm -hmm. less it's more of a personal but I mean anyone who wants to follow me is welcome. They to just want to get to know you more, Carl, you know? That's, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's, and I want to get to know them. We're very and, familiar know. on this podcast. Yeah, yeah. A crew yeah. of a crew of friends. Um, and yeah. well, thank you so much and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Thanks, Louise. I have followed Dr. Afif Al-Kufash uh, for some time. Um, he is a neonatologist, as I mentioned in the introduction, um, in the Rotunda Hospital. He's also a lactation consultant. He's a professor of pediatrics, and he hosts a podcast called The, the Baby Vibe. Um, he is someone who I've just respected so much. He's so passionate about his work, passionate about um, pediatrics. And if you've ever had a baby in the neonatal unit in the Rotunda, you may well have uh, met him. He may well have been key in the care of your child. Um, so I'm, I have no doubt that you all are admirers of his. Um, as I said, I followed him for a while and I've never seen him be politically driven. Um, I, I have never seen him kind of tweet the way that he has been recently um, with regard to the treatment of children and babies in Gaza. Um, he is trying to do something. He's trying to make a difference. And I thought I should talk to him about those efforts this week. Well, Thank you so much, Dr. Afif El-Kufash, for uh, joining me on the podcast. I have followed your work for many years. Um, I know that there are lots of families in Ireland who are grateful to you and who have had amazing interactions with you in the Rotunda Hospital because you are a neonatologist, you're a lactation consultant, you're a professor of pediatrics. You, I saw digital artist in your Twitter bio. I would love to hear more about that. And also oh, you, yeah. host, <laughs> you host uh, the Baby Vibe podcast as well with, uh, with your... Katie Mugan. Um, so you, I suppose, are a man who has dedicated your life to caring for children, really. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I, I'd be lying to say if it was um, a passion of mine throughout my medical career, um, mm -hmm. but it's something that I ended up doing. Um, incidentally, both my parents were pediatricians, so right. It was something I definitely did not want to do throughout medical school, um, interestingly enough, because I used to see how hard they used to work. Um, back in the day, they used to be on call one every third day, and it was only, you know, once or twice a week where we had both parents at home because mm. of their kind of onerous working hours. But I ended up falling in love with the specialty slowly as I was advancing through medical school. Mm. And that was partly because I ended up going back over the summers while I was training back home to Kuwait to... Um, do some uh, you know additional training with my dad and things like that so I ended up actually 
um, really, really liking it. Mm. And that's why I ended up doing it. And it's such a rewarding specialty because, you know, the, the good stories far outweigh the, the bad and tragic stories, which is great. But even with the tragic stories, there's always, um, you know, the, the connections you make with the family really, really stay with you, you know. Yeah. So um, it's a very rewarding specialty in that way. And the fact that, you know, babies and children can bounce back very quickly when you do the right thing for them medically mm. speaking. So, um, yeah, so it's something that I really enjoy doing. Yeah, I, I only had a very brief, fortunately for me, uh, very brief interactions with neonatologists um, in my career as a parent. Um, but my son, Sam, was uh, briefly in the neonatal unit in the Rotunda. Um, and I was just so impressed by the work and the care and the kindness that exists there. It, it felt like a very special place. Yeah, the Rotunda is a special place. I have been working there now for... 11 years and um, I wouldn't swap her for anything else in the world. It's um, there's such great collegiality between us. And um, I think you see the dedication of the staff, regardless of what they do in the hospital mm. to um, the betterment of moms and babies, mm. um, you know, that we care for. So it's, it's, a, it's a really, really special place. And um, I really regard it as a as a small family. Mm, yeah, I well, I certainly all of my experiences in the Rotunda have been so positive. Um, I'm really grateful that I have my babies there. Um, and it is the people, the people who make it. Because like I remember when I had Sam, my first child, the ward that I was in, the, the room that I was in had been an office the previous week. Um, <laughs> but space was at a premium. It was early October. And I know that's a very busy year in the baby business or a busy time of year in the baby business. Um, and, you know, I just really felt like everybody was doing their absolute best and pulling everything together to make sure that, you know, everyone was cared for. Um, so I follow you on Twitter, Afif, and I have watched over the last number of weeks as you've been posting passionately about what's happening in Gaza. And I think most people will be familiar with the images of premature babies in the hospitals in Gaza. Um, and obviously, you care for premature babies every day. Um, so tell me a little bit about your feelings about what's been going on and what has prompted you to kind of speak out about it. Yeah, I mean... I if you've been following me for a while, you know that I tend not to, um, you know, comment on, on political issues and things yeah. like that. And I try to stay apolitical, if you like, mm. because that wasn't the purpose of my Twitter page initially. It was really to, you know, foster research and education and things like that. I like to talk about my research career mm. on, on my Twitter page. But I'm sure um, a lot of the listeners, um, you know, have been aware of what's been going on in Gaza over the last um few weeks and I am originally Palestinian my dad's actually a refugee from uh, the West Bank from Palestine and he settled in Kuwait and that's where we we grew up mm. and um you know conflicts like this aren't that uncommon in in Gaza and the West Bank unfortunately but this one obviously has been a lot more intense mm. and I suppose one thing that struck me um on Twitter is that, I mean, I'm in touch with a huge amount of colleagues in the pediatric and the neonatal field across the globe. And I remember a huge number of them were very, very appropriately so vocal um, when the, you know, Ukrainian um, Russian war was happening. I mean, I know it's still happening, but when mm. it first started, where they were very vocal about trying to keep the kids safe and try to keep the children safe. And there was a lot of um, outcry from 
you know, many institutions and societies across the globe that were tasked with, you know, um, promoting research in pediatrics and neonatology and also looking after kids' rights in pediatrics and neonatology. And I noticed the deafening silence this time around when the children in Gaza um, were suffering far more than any other recent and war that we've kind of experienced. And I suppose I raised the question as to why the silence, why the double standards? Um, Shouldn't all kids, um, you know, shouldn't we advocate for all kids, regardless of race, ethnicity, culture, background, you know, geographical, um, uh, you know, where they are geographically? And I'm yet to find a um, convincing answer as to why there is the deafening silence. Mm. And that's why I suppose I became vocal about this topic um, to try and push people to, um, you know, at least show support for mm. the children of Gaza who have nothing to do with the war, who didn't start the war, who, um, you know, can't be made complicit in the war. Mm. Um, yet there is still a lot of silence and, and I'm puzzled as to why that is. I suppose even just to to ask people to challenge themselves on why, you know, even that would be valuable um, because it is shocking. And I think a lot of people are really struggling with the dynamics of American culture and politics in relation to what's happening here. And obviously so much of the world is influenced by America. And I presume that extends to your uh, your field of work as well. Um but people do seem to be afraid almost to speak about this. I mean, <clears throat> I think they are. And I think there are a couple of reasons why. I mean, we all acknowledge that the complexity, sorry, the complexities and the political sensitivities surrounding the Israeli-Palestinian conflict, you know, we all acknowledge that. It is complicated. But I don't think that there is anything contentious about a public statement of empathy and advocacy for children's rights and well-being, mm. you know, and demanding a stop to the killing of children to me, is not controversial and not com- and not complicated, mm. you know. And our response as a profession shouldn't waver based on race, ethnicity, geography, political context. Um, and I think people sometimes may dismiss um, those voices as inconsequential, but I actually think that, um, you know, if academic institutions mm-hmm. came out, if societies came out, if a group of neonatologists across the world came out, um, speaking out against the atrocities that are being committed against the children, um, then, you know, this is a powerful voice. I, I've, I've heard a statistic today that 68%, so up to 70% of the 12,000 Palestinians that, that have died so far are women and children. Mm. So it, it, it's a horrendous, shocking statistic. And I can't see how you can say that these women and children are actually guilty of, of, of anything secondary to the war. Mm. And a lot of the time they're being dismissed as, as collateral damage. Mm. And I still struggle with the, the silence, to be honest with you. Yeah, I think, you know, certainly what I've seen, I've been posting about 
this uh, quite a lot on my social media and so I've been having some really interesting conversations with my followers and certainly it is the children it, it, the horrifying images that we're seeing I mean I have cried many times over the last number of weeks over photographs of children who are experiencing absolute horrors and atrocities that they do not deserve to experience. Um, and it is certainly the thing that is connecting with my followers as well. I mean, so many of us who are parents see our own children, you know, when we look at these pictures and it can only imagine what it must be like for their parents and what it must be like for those children. Um, and I think, you know, when I when we first covered what was happening in Gaza on the on the podcast, I remember we said it was complex. But very quickly, it became very simple, I think. Because as you say, there's nothing complicated about saying innocent children shouldn't die. Innocent children shouldn't be killed. Innocent children shouldn't be hurt. Um, so it is, I, I have found it interesting to see your posts and, and to learn through your posts that there is a silence here that is unprecedented almost. Well, I actually think it is unprecedented because I, I did go back and take a look at, you know, previous posts and previous statements from, uh, you know, the institutions and the organizations and also the individuals that I was talking about. And within days of the Ukrainian-Russian conflict, there were very strong statements. For example, the European Society of Pediatric Research, and I'm a member of that um, European Society, and I've sent the open letter I published on my um, on my Twitter page and also my Instagram page, went directly to the president as well of the ESBR. I'm yet to hear a response. Um, challenging them on the double standards. Mm -hmm. I mean, they wrote to the um, European Commission asking for them to intervene and protect the children who are innocent bystanders in the Russian-Ukrainian conflict. Yet mm. now we're 40, 45 days into this conflict and nothing from them. Mm. Yeah. And it does scream of hypocrisy, to be honest with you. Yeah. And it does um, uh, challenge, I suppose, the notion that we care for all children regardless of, of, of where they come from. And I don't accept and I don't buy that we're quiet because it's complicated, mm. you know? And... Um, and and while I say this, I, I also have to say that I also um, am calling for all the poor Israeli children that are are still hostages and that were killed. That that's a tragedy as well. Absolutely. And there's and um, I just want to make clear because I get challenged on this sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, I got a couple of people saying, "Well, you never speak about the Israeli side." Of course, I do. I I, I um, mourn the Israeli children the innocent Israeli civilians that got caught up in this conflict as mm -hmm. well that um, are innocent. Mm -hmm. and, and I really hope that the, um, you know, all the Israeli hostages are freed yeah. immediately. And, um, you know, I want that. Mm -hmm. Yet you never hear, um, you know, people, I suppose, that are sympathetic to the Israeli cause advocating for the Palestinian children. Mm -hmm. And I really do think that there are double standards there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I suppose the whole crux of the point that you're making is that all children's lives should be valued equally. And I suppose what we're seeing is that they're not. Yeah. And, and yes. And um, sometimes people are uncomfortable when they think about why that is, mm -hmm. you know, where does it come from? Um, is it because people regard children that may be of different, you know, ethnic origin, mm -hmm. different geographical location as lesser than, than others? I can't find another explanation. I've challenged a couple of people on this and they say, I don't know why there is silence, mm. you know, and people may be afraid of really looking into 
why that is. Yeah, I think you're right. I think that that's very confronting for people and it's not pleasant. Um, but I think, you know, the only way you'll progress is if you do confront these things and then see what you can do to move forward. Um, so you are taking action here in Ireland. Um, I know that you are, have organized a vigil, which is taking place next Wednesday. So maybe tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so a group of healthcare providers, um, mostly coming from from a pediatric background, have formed a group um, called the Gaza Pediatric um, Care Initiative. Mm -hmm. And our aim really is to, first of all, raise awareness of of this issue and also try and, um, you know, fundraise and and try and get the funds across to people that really, really need it. Mm -hmm. And the visual is aimed to highlight the... um, disproportionate targeting of children mm. on the Gazan side, but also acknowledge and support all the children that are affected on the Israeli side as well. So we're making it very clear that we're going to call out the names of all the children affected, regardless of where they come from. Mm. I suppose to set an example that it is human to mm. care for all children, regardless of, of where they come from. So the vigil will hopefully be held on the 29th of November um, outside the Dáil on Kildare Street. Okay. And so you're calling on your healthcare colleagues. It does it does it matter if they work in pediatrics or are you happy for any of your healthcare colleagues to join? No, it doesn't matter where they come from, but um and it doesn't matter whether they're doctors, nurses, any healthcare provider that works within within healthcare mm-hmm. is is encouraged to come um and join us um in this vigil just to demonstrate that, you know, healthcare providers have a voice and that we treat children the same regardless of where they come from. Okay. Uh, so that's from four o'clock. Am I right? Next Wednesday? Yes. Yeah. And you're asking yeah. people to wear scrubs if they have them. If they have them just to just to show that we are healthcare providers that are doing this. Yes. I th- I really think that's going to be really powerful. I think visually it will be powerful. And, you know, I think it will make people stop and think, or at least I hope so. And I know obviously that's that's your hope too. Yeah, that's the aim. Thank you so much. I really appreciate you giving me your time. I know you've had a, a day. You're wearing scrubs as I talk to you, so I can only imagine. Yes, <laughs> I can absolutely. only imagine what, what work you were doing today. And I'm sure there are plenty of families who are grateful for you today. So I really appreciate the time. That's Dr. Afif Thank you, Louise. Al-Kufash. Yeah, thanks, Louise, for having me on. Appreciate Not at it. all. Appreciate it. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact. You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze. Relax and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow wherever you are. Tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. 
Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Now, it feels like, honestly, a lifetime ago since I recorded the showbiz section with Cassie Delaney this morning. Um... We had no idea what was to come in this day, so it is as silly and, you know, ridiculous as talking about celebrities <laughs> can be, um, but maybe it'll give you a little bit of escapism. Um, I hope you enjoy. Cassie Delaney. Louise. <laughs> <laughs> we are recording in a hotel room in Belfast. We were in Belfast last night for... Um, I was going to say for my work, and technically it was, but like... For my enjoyment. Didn't really feel that much like work. It uh, was. Yeah, it was a bit of work. It, fun was had. We're a bit shook, but we are so completely dedicated to talking about Girls Aloud for you. <laughs> oh my God, the giddiness. I don't know, like I actually think you are the most excited person I know when it comes to this Girls Aloud reunion. And I know a lot of people who are very excited, but no, you are... No, there's one other person who is more excited than I am. Donica. Donica. Yeah, okay. Um, but tell me about the roots of your excitement. Girls Aloud are, first of all, there is nothing greater in this world than a harmony. As we all agree, as we all agree on, yeah. And Girls Aloud are the most successful banging girl group of all time, including. And I'm a big Saturdays fan, and I'm a big Spice Girls fan. But Girls Aloud just have something, something special about them. I think it's interesting that you mention the Saturdays in the same breath as the Spice Girls and Girls Aloud. The Saturdays, I don't think, get enough credit for how talented they are. Sure. Yeah. Okay. But no, I think the Saturdays are good. Don't get me wrong. I think they're good. But like, if you put the girls allowed mega mix next to the Saturdays mega mix, and yes, there is a Saturdays mega mix. Like, there's one winner, and it's by it miles. Is, it is going to be know girls what I mean? allowed. Yeah. So, and also, girls allowed won pop idol. What in like two thousand and Cassie? I can say eleven. They won pop stars the pop rivals. Stars, Come the rivals. on. Sorry. Sorry. It's. it's my Belfast brain it's not yeah it's not who I really am yes so they are like they're just like nostalgia personified they are like we would have been coming into our teens we grew up with them like they're just so talented so beautiful so stunning and it's been 20 years since so last year was their 20 year like anniversary but obviously with the with the passing of Sarah Harding they said they were too upset to do anything to celebrate mm-hmm. so it's been 21 years since they won pop stars the rivals mm. it's been 10 years since they've even done an interview together mm. so this is so exciting and also i think the thing about girls aloud is they had all this um you know, there was all this like scandalous tabloid rivalry between them and we mm. never really knew what it was and, you know, mm. did they hate each other. So for them to come back now, older, wiser and still as gorgeous and to be giving us a multi-city stadium tour yeah. in the year of our Lord 2024, it's just, I think it's what the world needs. I mean, I absolutely agree with you and I am very, very excited. I'm very stressed already about getting the tickets though because what they've announced is a tour they have not announced um, 
New music. New music. Which I'm really upset about because I thought the... So in the last couple of days, obviously the way we got this announcement was we had each of the girls post a cryptic four, three, two, one. That got exciting because I was like, who's going to get the one? It was Cheryl, obviously the nation's sweetheart. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I really thought it was going to be a new, a new Christmas song. Mm. Like, I mean, Sound of the Underground was like one of the best selling Christmas number ones of all time. Mm. I thought we were going to... We were going to relive that. But um, yeah, I'm a little bit disappointed that there's no new music. But as you were saying earlier on, if the stadium tour goes well, and I really appreciate how accessible all of the stadiums are to us. Like mm-hmm. it's like Liverpool, Manchester, Belfast, Dublin, mm-hmm. London. Like, if And we, you're going to go to all of them, obviously. Yeah. And if we yeah. don't get if we don't get Dublin, to, I think Manchester is going to be the one to be at. Yeah, because they're doing two nights in Manchester as well. So yeah, that feels and it's a weekend. Doable. Yeah. yeah. And Dublin is a weekend. Mm. Dublin, I think, is a Thursday and a Friday. Oh, my God. Like, I mean, the George will never have seen the likes. Like, it's going to be... It's going to be, like, I don't know. I don't know if I can take the excitement. I don't know if I can do it. Like, I went to, I've seen Girls Aloud live, and it was honestly one of the best nights of my life. Mm. Like, I think if you're super into music and you think you're too cool for pop music, you miss out on so much. Because big, the production on big pop concerts, there is nothing like it. Yeah. They just know how to make you have fun. It's a show. It's a performance. Yeah. You know, you Nobody got... Nobody sees the show unless my heart Oh my so. God, to see them do Love Machine. I know. Again. I know. After all this time. It's so exciting. It's so oh, exciting. Oh, I'm just so buzzed. I will be devastated. If this is a repeat of Taylor Swift, I'm going to... No, Cassie, we're going to get Taylor Swift tickets. We're going to Taylor we're Swift. We're manifesting. We're going to Taylor Swift. Um, it's been interesting... Tickets. Yeah, it's been interesting um, to hear them, <coughs> excuse me, to hear them talk again as well. And they've been talking about their kids because they all have kids. Yeah. Um, it was Kimberly's birthday the other day. Oh. Kimberly was in my studio once. What? Like I've met, she did. I've met Kimberly pod- as well. Yeah, I had dinner yeah. with her. She's stunning. So She's beautiful. nice. But can I, can I say something? Yeah. <laughs> You just got very excited about Kimberly's birthday there out of nowhere. Because the last time we talked, well, no, we talked about Dunica, we, me and Dunica rated all our girls allowed members in order. And I was like, Kimberly's my favourite. And I was like, that's awful. Like, who has Kimberly as their favourite girls allowed member? That is, I mean, it's surprising, but I also like Kimberly. Yeah. But anyway, they all have kids now and they were talking about it. And uh, Cheryl said that when she showed DVDs to Bear, who is now six, by the way. What? Yeah. Which um, means Lim- Liam Page is finally of a yeah. good age. Um, Liam Payne? Yeah. Liam Payne. <laughs> um, anyway, he wasn't a fan, apparently. Uh, she said, he says to me, you look different, you sound different. This is weird. Why the nakedness? What's with your voice? Uh, Nadine's daughter was also dismissive. She's never really liked any of the Girls Aloud stuff because I don't smile enough, so I don't look like myself to her. Uh. And then Kimberly said this, Frankly, profound comment about motherhood. They don't think you should have existed before they were alive. That's all it is. Yeah, that is. Which is so true. They literally do not care. Although my kids, Sam is kind of, anytime I talk about something that happened in my life, he's always like, no way. What? You've been alive for hundreds of years. In the olden days is what he says. When it was black and white. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Anyway, it's stunning news. We are all so excited. Tickets go on sale when? Tickets, pre-sale tickets. If you register on their website, which obviously you did at the crack of dawn this morning, Mm -hmm. go on sale on Wednesday. This Wednesday. This Wednesday morning. Like, and I love that. I love an announcement to action. You know what I mean? I hated that long-winded, are we getting Taylor tickets, aren't we? We were on the pre-sale. We were in the thing. We were in the draw. We were in the whatever. 
was all yeah. the text. It was all the rigmarole. I hate all that. Yeah. Um, speaking of Taylor, it's been a rough week for her. It's been a weird... I mean, we've talked about this extensively before, right? It has been a weird year for live music and concerts and the behavior of the crowd and stuff like that. Now, this story is... Um, Taylor Swift was performing three nights in Rio and there was a lot of bad interactions. So there was the deaths of two people, muggings and a dangerous heat wave um, that left people like just with like a sour taste in their mouth after the the Taylor Swift concert. Mm. So so one of the deaths happened at the gig. Yes. So a girl fell ill at the gig. A 23 year old called Anna Clara um, fell ill during the sh- during the show, what they're saying is it was like something um, something related to the heart and she died later in hospital, which could have been to do with the heat wave and probably just the crowds and like, mm. you know, just how, I guess, jammers it was. So, yeah, she fell, she passed out during the second song uh, and was taken away and then died later in the hospital. But there was another fan who was stabbed um, at 3 a.m. post-concert. So, yeah, just, like, obviously a really, really tough week for Taylor. It's very sad. Obviously, like, we know Taylor Swift. She loves her fans. She's built her career on, the like, the fandom. Mm. So she did release a statement saying that the death left her with a shattered heart. They were saying that before the show, fans were lined up for hours outside the stadium and the temperature soared to like 41 degrees. I can't even imagine. Yeah. And then there were lots of fans complaining that they couldn't access water at the gig. They weren't allowed to bring in water bottles. Um, like it's it's a really tricky one. And obviously lots of people are pointing fingers and it's probably a combination of lots of different factors. But I mean, I just can't imagine. I mean, obviously, number one. These poor people and their families. Yeah. Just awful. But from the perspective of someone like Taylor Swift, who has, it has to be said, like a very special relationship with her fans. Yeah. The fact that she has kept going and is, you know, still playing gigs, I think is remarkable because I think I would find it very difficult to carry on. Yeah. It's got to be very, very upsetting for her. But like the control is, when you get to a stadium, you know, the control is taken away from the artist. Like the responsibility of the access to the water. And they were saying that the temperature within the stadium was absolutely incredible. Like that's on the promoters, the stadium owners and the staff that were there that night and, you know, making sure that people feel safe. You can't like... I don't know, for Taylor, she has, she is such a phenomenon. Like, she Mm. is so, like, we're obsessed, you know, she's Mm. so big. And, like, she can't control that her fans are going to stand out in the heat for hours and queue to try and get close to Mm. her. But it's just a really, um, it's just really unfortunate that there weren't better safeguarding in place for these people. Well, the production company are under investigation now, so um, I suppose that's that's all that can really be said there. Yeah. Okay, um, next up, we obviously have talked extensively on this podcast about what's happening in Gaza, and in Ireland, I think the vast, 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 vast majority of people, you know, are are on the side of the Palestinians, uh, the innocent Palestinian people. However... It's a different story in other parts of the world. And in Hollywood, actors are feeling the impact of of making political statements. Yeah, so Susan Sarandon, who I absolutely adore. Um, Except for the fact that she didn't endorse Hillary Clinton during the election uh, against Donald Trump. Okay. But I still, I, well, yeah. 
I can't take that from her. I still love her. She's <laughs> no, she's great. She's great. Five time Oscar nominee and one time win- winner. She's been dropped by her talent agency this week after she made comments at a pro-Palestinian rally last week. So I think it has to be acknowledged that in the States, the media is definitely biased and it's very much pushing this narrative of pro-Israel and, you know, that this is legitimate. So for Susan Sarandon to come out and at a pro-Palestinian rally, her remarks were essentially... Um, she said there are a lot of people that are afraid, afraid of being Jewish at this time and are getting a taste of what it feels like to be a Muslim in this country, so often subjected to violence. The pushback came when fans on X or Twitter interpreted those remarks as being anti-Semitic and mm-hmm. saying that they, that Susan was implying that Jews have it coming and that they don't deserve to live free from harassment or assault. So her agency came out and um, and dropped her after that, which is just like insane when you think about the behavior of other actors and other things that have happened, that yeah. this is the thing that's going to get a drop from a talent agency. Absolutely. There are so many men who have done horrible things in their careers, mm. who still have massive careers, who have not been dropped by talent agencies. Who get to become president. Who, like, I mean, honestly, and then you can't say that, which is, like, relatively in- innocuous. And she's not the only one. There was an actor dropped from uh, the new Scream film as well mm. during the week for, again, similarly, like, innocuous comments on her Instagram. Um, it's it's kind of crazy. I feel like, and I've, I've had people saying this in my DMs, I feel like the curtain is kind of being pulled back a bit on America. Like, a lot of people are realizing that it's not the land of the free. <laughs> I yeah, mean, I think a lot yeah. of us knew that anyway. Um, but, you know, there is... It's a tricky place these days. It is really tricky. And I think that, like... I think that the media has a lot of... A lot to do with it. I remember being... I was in the States during the Trump campaign. Mm. And watching the debates. And everyone's like, he won that. He nailed that. And I was like, what has happened? Like, mm. what has happened that Donald Trump nailed a debate against Hillary Clinton. Mm. And then I came back and saw our news and it was a totally different story. And I remember being like, oh, that is so confronting and weird that Mm. their mainstream media is incredibly biased. Obviously, you've got different channels that you can tune into. Different sides. And I think a lot of that is what's happening now. But there has been a huge rise in anti-Semitic crimes in New York since the start of the attacks on October 7th. Um, So I guess like there's just going to be really high tension you know a lot of ignorance around what is going on yeah and this kind of they're like pointing the finger I guess at people who disagree with them or I think it's really difficult as well because um like obviously there's a difference between Jewish people and Zionists Mm -hmm. and there are lots of Jewish people who are anti-Zionism um but there are also people who assume that anyone who has an opinion that is negative about Zionism is anti-Semitic. And so the whole conversation is really difficult at the moment because, you know, if you call things that are not anti-Semitic, anti-Semitic, then that can lead to a kind of dilution of actual anti-Semitism, which Mm -hmm. obviously is 
totally wrong and completely wrong and totally unacceptable. But the the whole thing is very muddled at the moment and very murky. Um, and yeah, I think we'll probably see more people feeling the impact of but I think it'd be so interesting because like these people have platforms and have the potential to change the narrative and if they become silenced and scared to speak out because they're going to be dropped by their agencies despite being nominated for the Oscars five times and and having a career like Susan Sarandon then it's going to just it's going to perpetuate the problem and like people are going to be too afraid to speak out and say anything because when it comes down to work Mm. people are very afraid to challenge that and And look, I mean, the reality is it does have an impact. Uh, you know, it does. It does impact the work that you get, even even for someone like me or people in this country. Like, you yeah, know, it does. Being political in any way will have an impact on your on your money. And it's whether or not you decide that it's worth it to you, um, which for me personally, it is. OK, finally, let's talk about Alison Hammond and Cliff Richard. This is really it's not really about Alison Hammond. It's about Cliff, Cliff Richard. Um, and his, frankly, wild comments about Elvis on this morning. This was just so gross and unnecessary. So Cliff Richard was being interviewed on this morning. They asked him a pretty, like, innocent question. Had he ever met Elvis Presley? And he talked about how he had the potential to meet him and he decided not to because Elvis had put on weight and he didn't want to get a photo with Elvis and he said it'd be hanging on his fridge if he was going to meet him and going to get a photo he wanted him to be looking well Did you ever meet Elvis? Oh, no I did not I had one chance through a, a, a journalist when I was promoting Devil Woman in the States yeah. he said oh I, I know Elvis because he knew that I was influenced and I, he said would you want to meet him I said yeah at the end of the interview though I said can we put it off because he was, he put on a lot of weight, oh, right. and I thought if I'm having a photograph taken with him, and it's going to be hanging on my refrigerator, it, he's got to look good, and I put it off, and of course then he died. Oh. Should so, never put it off just because should, they're a little bit heavier. No. If anybody has got, if you're a fan of somebody's, you should, if you get the chance to meet them, Take it. meet them, even if yeah. they've put on weight. <laughs> Is that why you don't want me at your house, anyone? Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so. And he's kind of his message was don't delay in meeting the people that you admire because they've put on weight. But it was so, so horrendously uncomfortable. Alison Hammond dealt with it really well, but it was just such a weird. It was so weird. And like, I mean, the good thing is everybody is like, what the hell? Well, not everybody. Most people are like, what the hell? Um, but I tweeted this and I said, and I and I stand by this, that like, it is absolutely wild how free some people feel to make these kind of comments, not only about fat people, but about fat people to fat people. Yeah. Like, I have been in this situation where people have been talking about people with bodies like mine in front of me or to me. And I'm like, I'm I'm literally here in the kind of body that you're talking about. Like, how are you not seeing that that would be hurtful to me or, like, that that would have an impact on me? Yeah. Like, the fact that he, you know, not only said it, but said it to Alison Hammond is just wild. But what I find really interesting about it as well is, like, even in the articles where they're talking about it and covering it, it gets to the end of the story and then it will link to another story being like, Alison has revealed how much weight she gained while presenting Bake Off. It's like, yeah. we're not fucking learning anything. No. Just stop talking yeah. about people's bodies. Yeah. Like, stop talking about people's bodies. Stop thinking that every, everybody's body behaves in the same way yeah. and acts the same way. It's so 
deeply ignorant. And what's worrying about this kind of thing is like, that's the kind of like passive comment that so many people probably heard and didn't think anything about. Mm -hmm. Do you know? They were just like, oh yeah. Yeah. Par for the course, you know? Yeah. Like I was saying to you yesterday, I have my Twitter like heavily filtered because I just don't need to see all of the horrible people who choose to be horrible to me on the internet. Um, I try and avoid it where possible. Um, but I did, that tweet kind of got retweeted a lot. And that, that's when you really get the bad stuff, when it goes outside your kind of circle. Mm. And um, some of the comments that were being made about me and about Alison Hammond were just like absolutely wild. Like one person likened me to a heroin addict and said that everyone around me was enabling me because I exist in a bigger body. It's just... Which, which is just wild. I mean, first of all, heroin people who are addicted to heroin deserve empathy and compassion yeah. as well so let's mm -hmm. just get that out of the way from the from the off but like to it, this assumption that like anybody who's in a bigger body is just like sitting eating all day long yeah. I eat less than my seven-year-old son do you know what I mean like yeah. I'm actually not that big of an eater um and like if I was that also wouldn't be their business and and it's just crazy to me that this attitude is still so pervasive and what's really unfortunate is that things have improved in many ways yeah um however I think that also what's happened is people have gone kind of underground it's not that the attitudes aren't there it's that people are more afraid to say it because that's it yeah. you know because basically when I was a kid or when I was a teenager um in my early 20s like Nobody was suggesting that it was that it wasn't okay to be like openly fat phobic. Yeah, like everybody just was, and it was just accepted, and it was you know it was deemed kind of appropriate in the same way that you'd say like oh smoking is bad for you. It was like fat people are bad mm -hmm. and shouldn't be, <laughs> shouldn't exist basically, and should be constantly living in a state of, you know, an attempt to alter themselves physically. And like when I wrote my book, which was eight years ago, um, like. The book wasn't entirely about body stuff, but there was body stuff in there. And, the, and like my thesis basically was, you know, fat people don't deserve to feel shit for their entire lives. Yeah. But that was radical. <laughs> like, uh, you know, every interview I did, that was what was talked about. You know what yeah. I mean? And um, and still at that time, Brendan O'Connor and Michael O'Darty uh, both wrote columns about me and how actually fat people Brendan O'Connor's whole thing was I used to be fat and if people had given me more grief about it I would have lost weight sooner um Michael O'Darty was like it might be fine for Louise but it's not fine for anybody else mm. like you know that was only eight years ago yeah and I mean that was in national thing. newspapers the attitudes are still there the thoughts are still there people just aren't saying it out loud like mm. the condition thinking is still there because we've like so many decades yeah. of unpacking and unlearning to do when it comes to this topic yeah. and like People's immediate thoughts and like the shit that came out of Cliff Richards or, you know, his mouth on the TV are what you are conditioned to think. Yeah. We grew up in 90s heroin chic culture yeah. with Weight Watcher moms and like it is it is going to be in our psyche for years. Yeah. But you have to stop and question your thoughts and ask where that comes from and then do better. Exactly. And really, really fucking think about it. Like just it's just it's so dumb to think that all bodies behave in the same way yeah. they don't we're all different heights we're all different colors we're all different like we all have different personalities the way we metabolize food and the way that we exercise is different for everyone and our health is different and just fucking think about it like beautifully put thank you on that note let's sign off thank Bye. you my friends
Now, my friends, it has come to the end of the podcast and um, I obviously I'm upset and I think lots of us probably are uh, at this moment in time. But I do really want to remind you that I really genuinely believe that there are way more loving people in this country than there are people who want to stoke I think that we are a country of lovely, welcoming people. And unfortunately, at the moment, the people who are making the most noise at times are the people who are coming from a place of darkness. But we can't lose sight of the fact that there are good people everywhere, even around the incident that happened, the stabbing incident that happened today. You know, the the person who did it was immediately surrounded. Uh, people stepped in. People took care. People ran from the hospital to care for the children. You know, there are good people everywhere doing good things and we can't lose sight of that, even though sometimes it can feel. And I think at the moment, Jesus, things were already pretty bleak, you know, um, in terms of the news recently. We have to remember that there are more good people than there are people who are behaving in a way that is unpleasant to say the least. There is more of us than there is of them. We are good, loving people. And I think we are going to have to have a real conversation in this country about um, these kinds of attitudes and how we move forward. Um, but I believe that that we can improve things. I hope that makes sense. I am so emotional. Um, I, I sometimes wish I was one of those people who could just like disconnect from things, but I really feel things like this. Um, it felt crazy to be putting my kids to bed this evening and I could literally hear sirens and a helicopter out the window. Um, this is not what we want. But I, I have lots of hope and I hope you do too. Don't forget, if you have feelings, thoughts, anything you'd like to share, if I've annoyed you with anything I've said, I am always open to hearing your perspective. I would love if you'd send me a voice note on 089-209-6423. That's 089-209-6423. Please take care of yourselves. Show each other love and kindness. I hope you have a good week. But as I always say, they can't all be good. And today is definitely an example of that. But just put one foot in front of the other and we will get to next Friday. Thank you so much to ACAST for having me on the network and to all of my brilliant contributors. I will talk to you next week. are on a budget we still deserve nice things quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80 percent less than similar brands they have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at 50 dollars, luxurious italian leather bags and so much more plus quince only works with factories that use safe ethical and responsible manufacturing get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with quince go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365 day returns Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. 
I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. 